You're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom in Santa Fe. Soul Searching is a journey where I engage with an array of thinkers, from faith leaders to academics to artists, to explore deep questions of meaning, questions that all of us ask at some point in our lives, such as why are we here? What is right and wrong? Is there good and evil? Is truth relative or absolute? Is there life after death? And to help us on our journey this evening, we're very honoured to welcome to our show Chaplain Jack Conrad, Manager of Spiritual Care at Christus St. Vincent Regional Medical Centre over all the spiritual care chaplains. And Chaplain Jack has been deeply involved with the COVID-19 unit since its beginnings in the hospital. Chaplain Jack, welcome to our show. Rabbi Neil, it's good to be here. So tell us what's happening now in COVID at the hospital. Well, actually, in Santa Fe, we're pretty blessed because of the fact that we do not have a lot of COVID patients now. Just to give you a perspective, uh, when we were in the high point the early part of this year, we had up to about 43 to 45 patients uh, within the hospital with COVID. Right now, we're about eight or nine at that point. So it's relatively low, and that's a lot to do with the aspect of the vaccination rate and the practices that have been going on here in Santa Fe. Are we expecting it to get higher as the Delta variant becomes more prolific through the community? Yes, we, we're definitely seeing that. Uh, the rate in which people are being tested right now has increased like threefold since the as we were going through kind of a lull mm-hmm. after the major outbreak. Um, so we're seeing the testing. When the testing goes up, you're going to see the the uh, experience in terms of that the Delta variant coming back up. And we have no way of knowing, sadly, because we don't have to do the testing for which type of variant we have. That's done through the Department of Health. Uh, but we see it now. And it's happening not only here, but it's also down in Albuquerque, throughout all of New Mexico. All of the hospitals are full. Mm. Part of that is with COVID and the, and the variant. But part of it is just we've got a lot of patients seeking care. And almost all the major hospitals now are at capacity or beyond. That's rather terrifying, isn't it? If we're at capacity already Mm -hmm. and as we're watching this Delta variant, the cases increase, the R rate being so high, we're seeing the positivity test rate increase. Mm -hmm. I think the last time I saw it, it was 4% or 5%. Six percent now. Six percent. So what happens when there's all these people who are really desperately sick from COVID and the hospital is full or the hospitals are full? What happens? That's the million-dollar question. Uh, The hospital, uh, Christa St. Vincent, is definitely in the preparation for that. We've increased room capacity, doubling up in some of the most severe centers to handle that type of a level. But the capacity is not room. The capacity is nursing Mm. and physicians. And we're doing everything we can to make sure that we've got that. But with the recent outbreaks in both Arizona and Texas, uh, they have actually come in and taken a lot of the nurses away, stolen them, literally offering major dollars to move nursing in different types of places. We've been fortunate at Christa St. Vincent to have a fairly steady workforce. But when you overburden them, Mm-hmm. is when you start to see the breakdown in the way the system works. And that, I guess, 
the more overburdened, the more the more members of nursing staff who are taken away from New Mexico means the more burden on the staff who are staying, which means Correct. they're more likely to be pulled away. And I feel like you're talking about another mm-hmm. potential sort of challenging chain of events. It is. It's a, it's it is kind of scary when you start to really contemplate and. I think it's scary for two different points. One, just the volume of doing that. And second is to relive this again. So what was it like first time? Because when you say to relive it again, from for some of us experienced it firsthand, had loved ones yes. who were bedridden, who were hospitalized mm-hmm. and so on. Some people had very little experience of that. Sometimes Correct. people say, oh, I just had a bit of a cold symptom and so on. Mm-hmm. But from your perspective in the hospital, when you're talking about that not wanting to relive that. What is it that you're not wanting to relive? Because I think it's important for people to hear what actually, what it felt like in the hospital during that biggest outbreak time. Well, let me say it first. The the quality and the depth of compassion and care that was provided, especially out of Christa St. Vincent's, which is where my experience is, is amazing. Mm. I mean, the dedication, the endless hours, uh, just as prolific. But the difficulty is, is is multifold. One, you're always concerned about capacity. Initially, we were concerned about having PPE, making sure that you had enough of that. That's always been there for us, thank God. But sometimes it was kind of sketchy in terms of would you get enough to, to make it happen. But that did. So you got that fear. The second fear is, will I get it? Hmm. This is prior to vaccines. Hmm. Will I come down with it? I mean, I remember talking with one of the uh, physicians in ICU, and he has two little kids. Right. And he would describe to me what he had to do to, before he could hug his kids. Right. A shower at the hospital, changing his clothes, taking his shoes off before he goes in the house, going back into the shower, showering one more time, changing his clothes completely, and then he would get to kiss his wife and say hello to his kids. Wow. And uh, I just remember the um, angst that he had in terms of doing it and worrying about bringing it home to his family. Right. And I know for me personally, because I'm of an older age, uh, I was really scared about bringing it home to my wife and uh, much less myself getting it in regards to it. So you've got that process of fear of you getting it yourself. Thank God that didn't happen that very much at all, almost nothing, which we're really very, very blessed by doing that. But the second thing is the emotional impact. Right. No families, okay, were initially allowed in the COVID unit. Uh, that changed once vaccination started to occur. But um, we had to set up Zoom calls with families, sometimes 400 miles away. The Navajo Nation had a phenomenal outbreak. Um, dealing with all that and actually having to contact every family member, making the connection, setting up Zoom, setting up calls, arranging for calls, going into the unit, getting updates by the doctors who were already running up and down the halls just trying to keep straight. Um, an immense effort. And I think that what I saw from most of the nurses uh, and the therapists and those the people that are on the front line was having to be the last one when people died. And having to be there with their loved one, perhaps on a Zoom, I knew that if I had heard one more screech off of a Zoom call wow. when they first saw their family member lying in the bed, um, it just it's horrible because you can do nothing about it other than just try to be consoling. And being a chaplain uh, and a minister, 
I hug, I embrace, mm-hmm. I comfort, and you can't do that. So every phase of what you would normally do in terms of caring for people were challenged and sometimes uh, created a tremendous uh, fear inside of you about going through it again and again. And I remember we had a husband uh, and wife, and um, you know they both passed within days of each other. Uh, I remember having to tell the husband that his wife had just passed at another hospital. Those are the types of things which you think, well, I can get through this one. But you add about five or ten of those together, and it really gets really difficult. Uh, so those are the types of things, uh, Rabbi Neil, that you don't want to go back and do again. Right. And we're at the precipice of that again. The isolation of those who passed due to covid mm-hmm in a hospital supported by the amazing staff, but the fact that they can't be surrounded by their loved ones yes. or couldn't, um, especially pre-vaccination, the, the isolation is heartbreaking to hear. It, it's, and it's uh, very, very difficult for the staff to deal with. Uh, I remember, um, quite unbeknownst to us, a, a family showed up at the front door. Um, their son had died about three days prior, in fact, they had just come after the funeral that they had done. When funerals were a whole other world that has to yes, be dealt with. Yes, indeed. Um, and they just showed up and they said, I just wanted to be in the building where my son died. Wow. And so we sat together. We prayed together. I said, would you like to see at least where the area is? Because it was safe to do that. And they said, yes. So we walked into the unit. Uh, up to where you go into the unit where you start to put PPE and stuff like that. And that was another barrier, too, because you got all kinds of stuff on top of yourself. But we were out there, and I said, just right down there through that door, the third room on the right is where your son passed away. And obviously there was tears. Uh, Fiancé was there, the mother, the father. Uh, And then one of the nurses came out, and uh, this was a really remarkable experience one of our phenomenal nurses. And he had actually tended to Hmm. um, the young man who had passed that day or the day before. Um, And he came out, told about it, what it was like, the last moments. Um, And we all cried together and prayed together. And the mother looked at me afterwards and she said, that's exactly what I needed, some type of a closure. When you can't be with somebody that you love and you know and everything else, and you just can't be there at that last moment. It's a hollow feeling that comes to a lot of folks in regards to it. I think what you're doing and what the staff are providing, in, and you know, they may not be trained in pastoral skills in in the same way, you know, but the but needing to be there as clergy are often usually there at yes. the end if need be to help mm-hmm. support the family with their training is a different mm-hmm. kind of training, I guess. Being it, but having that, I mean, it must be so enormous. I think for me, hearing this story and hearing the the fear that that we could go back to that leads me to questions about vaccination. Mm-hmm. And I think what I'd like to do is we'll we'll take a little bit of a break, and then what we'll do is we'll come back and ask about how can we avoid this again and the implications and the necessity of, of vaccination. 
So we're going to take a break. You're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom in Santa Fe. My guest this evening, Chaplain Jack Conrad, Manager of Spiritual Care at Christus St. Vincent Regional Medical Center. And we'll be back after this break. You're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom here in Santa Fe. My guest, Chaplain Jack Conrad, Manager of Spiritual Care at Christus St. Vincent Regional Medical Center, who was before the break sharing these heartbreaking stories of people who had to, people who died from COVID and had to do it alone, separated from their families. Now things are different because there's vaccination. So let's ask, first of all, what's the vaccination policy for employees and staff at Christus St. Vincent? Well, the policy has always been a voluntary thing. And if you could show reasons why, either from a medical standpoint or a religious perspective, that you cannot take the vaccine, um, then that was fine. Very, very small percentage. We have about 88%, I think, as of this morning, of all of the people within the hospital are vaccinated. That's way above almost every other hospital that we know of. And we're just very, very fortunate. I think it's part of the commitment that is there. So our policy is basically as many vaccinations as possibly can get. Now, I wanted to add one other thing because we were talking just before the break. Um, One of the other things that is there with all the associates is an anger. Mm -hmm. And an anger at those who deny that this is real. And we have heard it more than enough not only from family members, not only from the media, et cetera. We've heard it from patients themselves. Patients who are currently sick from COVID, yeah. denying the fact that they have COVID. Yeah, I remember one of the uh, doctors stopped me in the morning when we were doing our rounds and said, Jack, what am I supposed to do? I went into this lady. She said, I want out. I want to go home. He says, you can't, ma'am. You have COVID. We're treating you for that. She says, I don't believe in COVID. It doesn't exist. I want to go home. Wow. He says, what do I do with that? He said, well, you may not believe in it, but you have it, and you're not going to get out of here until we can prove that you're not going to be potentially contaminating somebody else. And when you get that type of resistance, we had four patients just in the last week that have said that. Wow. And so when you encounter that and all the things that you have to go through as a a support or a clinician, and you just listen to that, you just, you know, your mind just starts to drift. And so there's a, a, resi- a resistant or a very strong anger in many of the associates in terms of what we hear and what we see in terms of the outside world, especially with regards to vaccination. I, I, I'm stunned by hearing this. I can't help but think, and I know it's a trite comparison, in Monty Python and the Holy Grail, when he cuts his leg off, he goes, it's, it's but a flesh wound. Flesh wound it's like, no, your leg's off. <laughs> and I can't help but hear this and think, why you know, there's vaccine hesitancy, which um, which I, I appreciate is real, mm-hmm. and I appreciate comes from this misinformation campaign. Mm-hmm. But the idea that somebody could be sick in hospital and have a test and just be shown—I mean, it's it's very easy to show. You know, this is what you have, and to and to literally say to the doctor that doesn't exist. 
what what do we do with that? I mean, well, I, that was the doctor's question to me, right? And I said, "Smile, great big, and do what's right for them." And I said, "That's really the only thing you could possibly do in regards to it." But emotionally and mentally, it makes you crazy. It really does. I think when you say do what's good for them, mm-hmm. here, here's my my issue, and I I do wonder if America has so struggled with vaccines and acceptance because of this radical individualized society that it's about what's what's good for each person i choose what's good for me but sometimes there's the common good mm-hmm. and sometimes there are the vulnerable people who you were talking about before the children who aren't yet vaccinated mm-hmm. for whom this delta variant is terrifying mm-hmm. or should be terrifying and when people say well it's my right to choose whether i can or, or have a vaccine or not and i think but what about the people you come into contact with? And that's not even considered from people that I've talked to who have that. It's not even the, – the greater good is not a concern of theirs. And that bothers me a lot mm. from a personal standpoint. Like, no, that's not okay because there is an impact. And when we think about um, – uh, one other thing about the vaccination, if you're vaccinated, okay – if you do come through it, because there are breakthrough cases because it's 95% efficacious, if it does break through, your case is much better than if you did not have that vaccine. So it's just a self-protective piece. So the fact is, is that are you going to get it if you're not vaccinated? Probably. Is it going to be bad? I don't know. But if it is and you wind up being hospitalized, it'll be much less if you had the vaccine. Right. So... The logic of it, it, logic has nothing to do with it. I've come to believe deeply this is a belief system. And when you believe something, even if it's totally erroneous, you can't argue beliefs. I wonder if it's more than belief. You're pushing me and I might come off my perch here. I wonder if it's a form of delusion. I wonder if this is genuinely a mental health issue. But many beliefs over the years have been delusional. Fair. That's fair. Yeah. I wonder if this is such an ingrained paranoia about the state, about organizing. And I understand that there are valid reasons for people being concerned about government in general. But the idea of implanting microchips and all these like totally nonsensical, mind-blowing beliefs that some people have, for me, it seems more than belief. It is delusional, but it's still a belief. It's still something they deeply believe in because trying to use logic on it doesn't work. You just go right around the same circle and know there's this folks out there someplace, that 1% that is deciding everything. If they're doing it, by the way, they're doing a horrible job, by the way. So, but if that's your belief structure, budging that off you by logic, by statistics, and this misinformation campaign that is out there about vaccines – is tragic. That's the only way I can put it. It's tragic. And it has an impact on us at the hospital. Mm. It has an impact on me as a person when I come in to have to deal with those things. But I hear it. And it's very real. I wonder if part of it, as we move into the internet age and we become very siloed in our families, we're not as connected with the suffering of others around us. Mm. We don't see the fact that 
we need you to come here to say this is what it's like.、Mm-hmm. You know, people can share on Facebook. I see it all the time. Statistics from different hospitals. Here are the number of people who are in ho- this hospital with COVID. Here's the number who are vaccinated, and here's the much larger number who are unvaccinated. And then here's the people number of people who are in the ICU、mm-hmm. in the same hospital. And a tiny, tiny percentage of them are vaccinated, and an enormous percentage of them are unvaccinated. And then the final statistic is here's the number of people who've died. Died in our hospital from COVID. Maybe one or two were vaccinated, and the overwhelming rest of them are, are not vaccinated. And I think that we know that statistical data. We know、mm. that's true. As you're saying, though, you know, challenging people to see it, to feel it, to to acknowledge it. Statistics seems to be irrelevant. What do we do to impress upon people who? How do we help people who are not vaccinated to say? You run the risk of killing someone who you may not be connected to. You may not even ever know that you've done it, but your contact, your unmasked close contact with someone else, may end up killing that vulnerable person, even that person who's had a vaccine, although it's very unlikely.、Mm-hmm. How do we impress that humanity, that awareness of suffering? How do we help people who are hesitant to get vaccines? To be vaccinated, not just for their own good, but for others as well. Boy, I wish I had the key to that. I really do.、Um, even in my own family, I have a portion of my family that thinks that because we're vaccinated, we're going to die. I mean, just that simple. Now, tell me how to counteract that type of a belief structure. And we've talked, prayed. No, I'm sorry. This is what I deeply believe and see as being true. But that truth, as、right. you were offering, truth can be a very arbitrary type of a viewpoint、uh, to them, at least,、mm. not based upon factuality, but just based upon a gut feeling that is totally wrong, and then reinforced by that same small group that continues to to spread that type of a deception. I wish I knew. I really do. All I can tell you is it has some major impact internally. I I do a lot of work with.、Uh, Associates at the hospital and debrief with them. It's hard, and my deepest fear is not the aspect that would,、uh, not just what we're going through, which is certainly potentially scary as as all get out, but is that a lot of people will leave their professions, right? And we'll lose a lot of good doctors, nurses, therapists, and that is a tragic loss for everybody long term. Tell us a little more about the implications for the hospital. Of non-vaccination. Tell us a, a little bit further, because I, I think it's so important for people to hear that voice from within the hospital. Well, I'm going to try to give you an analogy. I'm not sure it's a good one.、Uh, when you put clothes in a washing machine,、um, and you get to a point, and I tend to overload,、uh, the, the washing machine doesn't like that at all. It tends to clunk, 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 clunk. You know, right? And my wife will yell at me and take some of that stuff out. Well, we're not only at the clunk, clunk, clunk spot.、Mm-hmm. The door won't close. So your clothes aren't going to get clean,、right. okay? And you're going to probably break the machine. That's the fear I've got.、Right. The potentiality long term, if we don't get vaccinated and we don't reduce the load on this, you're going to break the machine. The healthcare system, as wonderful as we have in the United States, and I won't go over into that whole process when we go through it, but as wonderful as we have in the United States, will break. 
and you see it breaking in many, many states, now the United States. We, um, our priorities here in Santa Fe is we take Santa Fe and people first. Then we take northern New Mexico people because we're the regional center for the, that. And then we take people from New Mexico, and then we take other states. And it's very careful priority because of whom we serve. And we have waiting lists now for different people out of out of other states that would gladly send people to us. Wow. So, and you can only put so much in the washing machine. That's the danger. All your washing machines are going to go out, and we're going to have dirty clothes forever. There's something that you said that, that's really resonated with me. And I, I guess partly this comes from me having an, a scientific background that medicine is based on science and therefore communal health is based on science. If that science is rejected, uh, then then there can be no communal health. And so this almost sounds like we're we're moving back to a it's almost like do we do we actually move forward in a scientific society or do we engage in witch doctors who tell you to inject bleach in your veins or, or shine a torch somewhere? Or or do we have a lot of enough people to finally die where that whole premise of um, non science goes away? And maybe that's part of it. I mean it's a terrible thing, but but isn't it almost like risk? How how sure are you of your non-vaccinating belief? Are you sure enough to risk your kid's death by COVID? You know, it, is that the... But I think we've seen that, haven't we? Yeah. We've actually seen where kids are. I worked at a children's hospital prior, um, at Lebanon Children's Hospital in Memphis, Tennessee. Wonderful, wonderful institution. Uh, they're at capacity. Um, they made the comment, because I still have association with a lot of folks, is that you have to wait for one of the children to die to allow another child to potentially come into the unit. Now, how awful is that? Right. Um, so the answer is, if it's not my child, it's not a big deal. But when it becomes my child, it becomes an enormous deal. And the hard part about it when you have this set of beliefs that are basically delusional in many ways, uh, until this starts to impact you. Right it's not going to change them. It's very easy to believe something that you've read online. Yes. It's very easy to read something that isn't scientific mm -hmm. but pretends to be Correct. because then you can hold it yourself until suddenly, you know, the reality of that fake science becomes... And, and that's the saddest part of the whole thing is why do we have to wait for that? This second, this next wave of the, the pandemic is um, totally unnecessary. Right. And that's the thing. Sometimes I wake up and I just go, Ugh. I hate to even think about that, that, that it's not there. And so when I went back to my uh, comment about the aspect of do the thing that is best for the per patient that's in front of you, that is an oath, part of the oath that we all take. We're there to serve them, even if they're not, if they're delusional or, or off the charts in regards to sanity, you still take care of them. There will be, if we overload that washing machine again, mm -hmm. we're not going to be taking people in the door. I think you coming here is a sobering, essential reminder of the importance of vaccination. It's essential. I think um, you have provided a human voice 
to a very serious issue in medicine and in society today, in American society today. So I, I really appreciate you for coming here and for and for putting a face on this. I, and I also particularly want to thank you and everyone at Christus St. Vincent and indeed all the medical staff who are doing just their absolute best to, to take care of people during a pandemic which continues. Uh, you're, you're more than welcome on behalf of everybody that I have the privilege and honor of working with. Um, you're, you're more than welcome and we're still there and the door hasn't shut on the washing machine yet. So I'm, I'm happy to work for an organization that is very intent on making sure that everybody can get vaccinated that needs to be vaccinated. Chaplain Jack Conrad, thank you so much for being with us this evening. You're welcome, Rabbi Neil. You've been listening to Soul Searching with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom and from the Interfaith Leadership Alliance of Santa Fe. Until we return again in two weeks' time, keep searching.